The word for today is consequences. Don't worry, it's a good sermon. Consequences is the name uh, of today's uh, sermon because it's something that we need to acknowledge in life. There are consequences to everything that we do. How many of you know there's consequences to everything you do? There used to be a game show called Truth or Consequences. How many of you have ever seen that one? Uh, you know, if you, got the, if you got the answer right, that was truth, and you were rewarded. If you didn't get the answer right, there was consequences of whatever. It was funny things that they did. That, uh, but with God's word, there's, consequences are not funny when it comes to disobeying or doing the things that God says stay away from or don't do. Those consequences are not funny. They're serious. And so we have to understand that our lives can be filled with blessing or filled with consequences. How many of you want to be blessed? We want our lives filled with blessing, don't we? I don't, want, I don't look forward for a consequence each day. Do I look up, do we, do, does anybody wake up and say, oh, I'm waiting for my consequence this morning? No, I'm, say, I'm looking for my blessing this morning, amen? How many of you woke up looking for a blessing from God and to give God a blessing, to be a blessing to the Lord? You see, consequences are negative results. It's the unpleasant and difficult results of previous actions. Things that we do, things that we did, bring forth fruit, bring forth results. And so, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're gonna, we're, our text today is in Genesis chapter 34, but I want to bring you through some scriptures before we go there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, it tells us that, But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. How many of you know that you're peculiar? God says we're peculiar, we're peculiar. But he's meaning you're set apart to be my people. You're special, you're, you're peculiar because you belong to me. You are claimed as my people. I claim you to be my people. Why? So that you should show forth the praises of him Show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I am glad that God took me out of darkness and brought me into his marvelous light and showed me things that caused me to praise God. How many of you know you praise God because the wonders of his love and of his goodness, of his mercy that never ends, his compassions that are new of every morning. These are things, some of the things that caused me to praise God, right? We don't praise God for bad things. We praise God for good things, for the blessings and the love that he pours upon us every morning. God challenges us in both Old Testament and New Testament. He challenges Christian believers just as much as he challenged the, the, the nation of Israel and the people back then in the Old Testament. You see, in 1 Peter 1.16, God says, because it is written, Be ye holy as I am holy. What does holy mean? It doesn't mean per perfect. It means set apart. Be set apart to live your life for me. Allow me, God is saying, and be holy. Allow me to work in you and live, my, and live through you. Be a vessel of honor that I can work through you so that you show yourself to be set apart from this, in this generation. How many of you know God, God is set apart from all, every, everything and everyone else? God is not like you and me. We need to be like God. And so God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. 
He's trying, he's challenging us to allow him to work in our lives so that he can fashion us and mold us to be more like him. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Because how many of you know that on our own, we can't make ourselves be like God? We cannot do it. We don't know how. We don't have a clue how to be like God. I mean, some people think they know, but they don't know. And so when we allow God to say, Lord, work in me so that I can be more like you, right? I must decrease, he must increase. And so even in Leviticus, see, what is quoted in the New Testament was said way back in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.2. Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that wonderful that God does not change? In the Old Testament, he said, be holy because I'm holy. And in the New Testament, he didn't change. He said, be you holy because I'm holy. And so God challenges people throughout the ages, from generation to generation to generation to generation, this call, the challenge remains the same. Be holy. Be set apart. Come on, live for me. Allow me to work my work in your life. Be an open vessel for the Lord. Amen? How many of you love to be an open vessel for God to work in our lives? We all do. I know that. You know, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 13 says, Take fast hold. Take a good grip on instruction. And don't, instruction meaning the word of God, the scriptures. Take fast hold of God's word. Take fast hold of the scriptures and don't let go. It says, keep it, for she is life. God's word is wisdom. God's word is instruction. God's word is knowledge. And if we keep, hold fast to God's word, it brings life to us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more, more abundantly. God, Jesus didn't come to take life from you. He didn't come to zap life from you. He come to inject life into your life, into our lives. And Jesus says, I come that your joy may be full. How many, uh, Jesus says, he's the joy bringer. God wants our lives to be blessed, filled with joy, filled with blessing, but it happens when we make a decision to take firm hold of God's word, hide it in our hearts and say, yes, Lord, let your word change me and transform me because I need you in my life. I desire you and want you in my life. One book of the Bible that a lot of people avoid is Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're not going to go through that, but Deuteronomy chapter 28 has 68 verses. And it's the chapter of blessing and of cursing. Now, God is a God of love. God loves us. I mean, there's no doubt, no question, God loves us. In verses 1 to 14, 68 verses, verses 1 to 14, God says, if you love me and obey me, I will bless you in your rising, in your sitting, in your coming, in your going. God, in 14 verses, God pours out multiple ways that he will bless your life if you love him and obey him. <laughs> 
How many of you love the word obey, huh? Obey, obey. Obedience, when it comes to God, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we obey, there is nothing coming out of that except blessing. Obedience opens doors of blessing for our life. When, so that's why God says, if you love me, listen to it, listen, listen to what I'm saying. If you love me, do what I say, obey me. Take hold of my word. Because why? Because God's choice, God's desire is to bless your life in multiple ways. In those verses, he says he'll take all sickness away from you, poverty away from you. God wants to bless your life. God is radical. God does things like nobody else can do. And so God says in those verses, in verses 1 to 14, walk with me. Live with me, abide in me, and I will bless you if you do what I'm telling you to do. God leads us because he loves us. He loves us and wants to bless us if we do what he says. We can't be hearers only but doers. Now, from verses 15 to 68, if my math is right, that's 53 verses. 53 verses speak of if you do not obey, if you disobey, all these curses. Read it, not now, read it. From verse 15 to 68, if you do not obey, this curse will come upon you, this will come upon you, this will come upon you, you'll be wanting, you'll be lacking, you'll be sick, you'll be this, you'll be that. Nobody wants to hear that in the Christian ranks. Oh, don't talk to me about cursing. No, God talks about cursing. God does not want you to be cursed. God does not want you to live under a curse because one of the things that we learned on a Wednesday night, if you come on Wednesday night, what a great teaching. One of the verses that Donna brought out was Proverbs 26, 2. A curse cannot alight without a cause. And a curse cannot come unless we do something that, that allows it to come. And God says, if you disobey me, that's allowing a something to come to cut you short or rob you of the blessings that God has for you. But God doesn't want you to be cursed. God came to be a blessing. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, but Jesus himself says, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus didn't do away with the Old Testament. He fulfilled it and confirmed it. L obedience, love God and obey God. Because God wants to bless you. God does not want to see anything unfortunate come upon you or your family. Proverbs 4.14. God says, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. We must have faith and be believers and say, yes, Lord. Enter not into the paths of the wicked. God gives three warnings. Enter not, go not, and avoid places that may tempt and test you. Any place you go that will be a temptation to you, stay away from it. Avoid it. Divert it. Don't go there. Put a big stop sign up. Amen? Because if we think, oh, I'm so strong in my faith, I can do, I can go there, I can mingle with them. God says, no, avoid it. Go around it. Go someplace else. And so, you see, too many times in the Old Testament and today, Old Testament believers and Christians think that they could just, we could just blend in 
with the people of the world, that we could just blend in at a party somewhere and, and oh, I'm there to be a witness. Well, no, no. God says avoid all of that stuff. Don't, don't do that. Be careful because you're putting yourself into a place of being tempted and tried and God says avoid it if possible, if you know that that's where it is. There's other things, other verses where God says, you know, enter not into temptation. I want to give you, now I want to go to our, our text here, which is uh, Genesis chapter 34. You see, temptation, temptation leads us to be disobedient. Temptation tries to get us to be disobedient to God. If we give in to temptation and become disobedient, that brings three things into our life for sure. It brings disgrace, it brings distress, and it can bring death. Disobedience, when we give in to temptation, we cannot look at it as just a little thing. Oh, just a, just a little thing I gave in to. It can, bring dis, it can bring disgrace to you and your family. It can bring distress to you and your family, and it can bring death to you and your family. That's why God says, enter not into temptation. Try to avoid temptation. God says, now, if we enter into a place unwillingly and we're tempted, God said he makes a way of escape out of every temptation. But if we willingly place ourselves in a place of temptation, we're putting ourselves in a grave place of danger. Avoid danger. How many of you would walk into a place where they, were, they had signs, danger, blasting, how many of you would go on a, take a picnic basket and go in, on a mountainside and, t- and open up a picnic basket while it says blasting in process? Huh? You wouldn't want to go there. Why? Because at any minute, boom, that dynamite could go off and there goes your picnic and, and maybe you too, you know, your picnic lunch. So you wouldn't go somewhere where there's danger signs posted, would you? You just, you would avoid that. There's many other places to go, aren't there? And so when God's word says, enter not into temptation, we've got to be wise and know God's word and say, okay, what, what is it that I need to avoid? What are the danger signs I need to look for in life that I need to avoid? And so we want to look here at this chapter 34, looking at disgrace, distress, and death that disobedience can bring into our life. But I pray that each one of us here will walk in the blessings and prosperity of the Lord. Amen? In the goodness of God, in the land of the living. Dinah. Dinah was about, she was a teenager. How many of you know what teenagers are like? Especially, well, she was a teenage girl, all right? She was around the age of 13, 15, something like that. 13, 14, 15. But she was born as the daughter of Jacob. Her father was a man of God. Her parents, her family was a godly family, right? And so here's, here's Dinah, a 13-year-old teenager. You know, we need to make our homes um, God-exciting. You know, not just God-friendly, but God-exciting. When, when we say that we're a believer we, and we have children, we have, or just a husband and wife, we have to make our homes God-exciting. We have to make God-exciting. God is exciting, but we need to make him exciting. Too often we make God dull and boring. We make God like, uh, uh, well, God is God, you know, but 
God wants to be active in every aspect and area of our life, and God wants to be, God wants us to have fun. God wants us to laugh. Laughter is good medicine. We need to start finding things to do in our home that will make God exciting to you, to your children, to your husband, to your wife. Find something to do. Play a game, a Bible game. Do something that makes it fun. You know, now there's times to be serious about the Word of God, but we've got to understand if we raise up our children and we start looking at ourselves that God is a God of adventure. He's a God of excitement. He's a God of wonder. He's a God of all. He made the stars in heaven. He made all the creatures in the world. How awesome is God? There's story after story we could talk about of God. We can find something interested either in, in animals, in creation, in science, in the moon, in the stars. And we have to talk about or to think about or to discuss that's exciting about God that puts our focus on the Lord. And so our families need to be God-exciting places, God-friendly, God-family, God-exciting. You know what I'm trying to say? Praise the Lord. Because, you see, Dinah, growing up in a godly household, the first verse in chapter number 34 says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. She wanted to see what was out in the world. Because maybe home life was just a little too boring for her. Maybe there just wasn't enough excitement to keep her at home. There was nothing to get her attention at home. In those days, families weren't just mother, father, daughter, son. Families were big. I mean, there, were, there was a lot of kids. There, there was a lot of husbands and wives. There was a lot of aunts and uncles. There was a lot of grandmas and grandpas. And they were all together. They traveled together as one big, hopefully happy family, you know, how many of you know when you get a big family together, we hope it'll be a happy time, right? So they were traveling together, but Dinah, for some reason, this young teenage girl, wanted to go uh, to see what was going on in the, in the land over there where, where they were having Josephus, who was a historian. He says, well, his account of it was that Dinah had gone. She was invited by the girls of the pagan town to come to one of their festivals where they were worshiping the nature. And they says, come on, we're having, what a great time we have here. It's really fun. Come on down. And Dinah, for some reason or other, we don't know, it doesn't tell us why, she made a decision to go. But here's the point. She's a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. And she goes down to this town, this ungodly town, to visit other girls who don't love God, who don't serve God, who don't acknowledge God, she's putting herself in a vulnerable position to be tempted, number one, and she's putting herself in a vulnerable position that is not good. Now, Jacob is her father. She's 13, 14, 15. Jacob being a man who loved God, who served God, why do you think it is? Did he not know his daughter was going by herself to an ungodly party? Did he give her, it doesn't say, did he give her permission to go? Did he say, well, if you're going, your brother's going with you? Or your sister's going with you? 
or your mother's going with you. Not that she would have loved that, would she, as a teenager. But do you understand what I'm saying? How is it a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl is allowed to go to an ungodly place by herself? Where was her father? Number one, if she resisted the temptation to go, something was inside of her was saying, I got to go check it out. But if she understood, there's nothing there for me. There's, God is not being honored there. God is not being respected there. God is not being talked about there. Why do I want to go there? Why do I want to subject myself to a group of people who just dishonor and disrespect my God? Why do I want to allow myself to be put in that position? She could have resisted, number one, I'm not putting the blame on anyone. Dinah could have resisted and said, you know what? Thanks for the invitation, but I'm not going. I'll pray for you guys, but I'm not going. Could she have said that? Did she say that? No. She just said, there might be something there that I'm missing over here. How many of you know you're not, when you're loving and walking with God, you're not missing anything the world has to offer you? God has more to offer you, more exciting things, more wonderful things to offer you than the world has. The world has nothing, believe me. I walked in the world for 33 years. I lived and, and tried everything in this world has to offer. And there's nothing in this world that is more exciting and thrilling, that offers me more than God's word, than living and walking with God. The pleasures in knowing God far outweigh the things of this world. There's no party, there's nothing, there's no money, no woman, no wine that can match walking and living with God. And so Dinah could have resisted temptation, but she didn't. We need to understand, is this a place of temptation for me when I'm invited somewhere or to do something? Is this going to be a, in, in a temptation for me? Should I go or shouldn't I go? Lord, help me decide. Now, I'm not saying you don't, you don't go to a, a, a family birthday party or a family wedding. You, even if they're unbelievers, that happens to me too. You got to go because it's family. I'm talking about going somewhere, being invited to an ungodly party where you know the people there do not love God, do not respect God, do not honor God, and they just want you there because they want you to become one of them. Why do you think these girls invited Dinah? They wanted Dinah to witness to them? I don't think so. I think they, they just wanted to get her to become one of them. And Jacob, the father, again, are we watching over our children? What are they doing? Who are they going with? You know, sometimes they say, oh, you're too strict. Well, sometimes we need to be, if we love our children, if we love our, our, our spouses, you know, I've, I've known Christian men who said, you know, I'm leaving my wife. She was her the wife was pregnant. He said, I'm leaving my wife because we're, we're going somewhere. We're going on a, on a trip with these guys over there. I said, how could you leave your wife who was pregnant and expecting any day? You're going to go on a trip with these guys? going somewhere? What are you thinking? Where are you going? And the opposite way too. Women have left their husband and said, well, I'm going with the girls and uh, I'll be gone for a couple days. Well, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? Huh? So we've got to think, what are we doing? What are we doing? Who are we allowing our children to hang out with? Where are we allowing our children to go? And are they going unsupervised? Are they going, is that place that they're going to, 
Could it be a threat to them? Could it be a danger to their spiritual well-being? How many of you know the spiritual well-being is more important than anything else in life? And so, and where was her family? Where was Dinah's family? She had a lot of brothers. I'm sure she had others there. Where were her aunts and uncles, her mother? Where were they saying, oh, Dinah, we'll see you in a couple days. Have a good time in the pagan city. You think they were saying that to her? Where were they? Did she sneak out and nobody knew? Huh? How could, she, how could that be possible when you have a large family? Hey, where's, Dean? where's Dinah going? I mean, you know, if I was a brother and I saw my, you know, you got eyes behind your head. You know if your sister's going somewhere. Come on. Where's Dinah going? So how, did, how is it that nobody in the family knew that she was going and just allowed her to, or just allowed her to go, right? And so there was many things. We don't know that. And so the Bible tells us if we obey God and, and have his word in our heart, we understand we need to be responsible to God to walk in his ways and not be tempted by the, the things of this world because our choices, my choice, your choice, affects not only our life, my life, but my choices are going to wind up affecting my wife, my mother-in-law, my, my family. And your choices affect not only you, but they affect your family, your people around your life in many ways. Now, if we mess up and make mistakes, God is there to, to, to bring forgiveness and healing. But I'm saying we got to start thinking, processing things a little bit differently, a little more, Lord, I want wisdom. I just want God. I want to try to avoid as much uh, distress as I can. I just want to walk in your blessings. You see, because she made the wrong, the wrong, the wrong choice, and we know two facts there that she shouldn't have been there, and she made the choice to be there. Her father and family just didn't seem to care or, or know that she was there. And when she was there, she was raped by a man named Shechem. It says it in there. That he saw her and took her and raped her. Now, that's a terrible thing to happen to anyone. But why did that happen to her? If she didn't go, it, number one, it couldn't have happened. If her parents or her family allowed her to go, and this happened to her, who's at fault? Well, certainly the person who raped her, Shechem, but are her parents guilt? Is there any guilt on her parents? Can they say, well, 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 you see what happened to that child because of neglect? Number one, in her heart, in her spirit, she chose to go. And number two, the people around her life allowed her to go. That's why the people around my life, I learned a long time ago. I want to surround myself with people who love the Lord, that I can talk to and pray, and that can, you know, we can do things together. Isn't it good to have, a, to have a family where you can do things together, a godly family? And so I decided to wrap myself around with people who love the Lord. Now, I don't hate people who don't love the Lord. I pray for them. I witness to them. But I don't hang out with them. I hang out with people of like faith. And that is so important. It builds us up. It keeps us in a good place. And yeah, we need to be witnesses. We need to, we need to talk to others. But we don't hang out with them because the Bible says bad company the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. 
We think, oh, I'm going to change them, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you hang out with them, they will change you, and they will take you away from me. But we need to witness to them and then back off and hang out with believers. And so we need to apply that truth. Now, Jacob himself made wrong choices, and that brought, see, Dinah, because of her disobedience, it brought disgrace to her, to her family, to her her clan. Now, to, for a, a woman to be raped is, is a, in those days was a, was a terrible stigma, disgrace upon the whole family and especially upon her life. Does God still love Dinah? Of course he loves her. But now are there going to be consequences because she wanted to go see what was going on at that party? There's going to be consequences, not just now in her life, but her father's life, her brother's lives, her family's lives, are all going to be affected because of her choice, of her decision. Also, the life of the man Shechem who raped her, his life is not going to be the same, and his family's life is not going to be the same anymore. It's going to bring consequences on both sides on both families, of the perpetrator and of the victim. Both, there's consequences come to both sides. And so Jacob now becomes distressed. Disobedience brings, can bring disgrace. Disobedience can bring now distress. Distress. Jacob is distressed. How do you think Jacob felt when he found out his daughter was raped by an ungodly man? How do you think he felt? He didn't go around saying, oh, you got what you deserve. That is foolishness. That's absurdity. Jacob was hurt. Jacob's heart was broken that this would happen to his daughter. Any man, his heart should be broken and crushed to find out that my daughter was taken by this man against her will. And that, that should create hurt, compassion, Righteous anger, shouldn't it? You see, we have to have spiritual defenses all the time activated. An alarm system. You know, when you have an alarm system in your house, if somebody tries to get in, the alarm goes off, right? Ah, uh, nobody's broken in, nobody's tried to broke in, let's just deactivate the alarm. Who needs it? Save electric. Should you do that? Is that wise to do? No. Sirens that are around town for warnings, every once in a while they test them to make sure they're still working, right? How many of you have heard that, right? We need to test our warning system of, of about life around us. Are my, is, my, is my warning system still working? Am I still alert to the dangers that are out there in this world? Am I still alert to the dangers of society around me? Or am I just like, uh, just like turning off the system, the alarm systems, and just thinking that uh, that's okay, God will take care of me, and, and no matter what happens, no matter what I do, God will... We always have to have our spiritual antennas up, our spiritual alarm system activated to say, oh, wait, this could be dangerous. This could be danger. I better not go there. I better not do that. I better pull my child back and say, you know what, let's go for ice cream instead. Let's watch a movie. Let's play a game instead. Let, let's do something else instead of going there. 
right? Find an alternative. You see, when, when, when Jacob, earlier back, Jacob was at a place and he laid down on a rock and he fell asleep and God appeared to him. He had a vision. And God said, God said to him, Jacob, this place where you're laying your head, where you're sleeping now, snoring probably, he says, this place I'm going to give to you. In all the land, I'm going to give it to you. And I want you to come back here. This is going to be your land and your place forever. God said other things to him that he was going to bless him and prosper him. And then God said to him, wherever you go, Jacob, I'm going to be with you to keep you from, from harm. I'm going to be with you until you come back to this place and make it your, your home. And so Jacob built an altar there and he called it Bethel. He said, because God had appeared to me here and he called it Bethel. And then Jacob went on and a lot of things transpired. But now he was supposed to go back to Bethel. And instead of going back to Bethel, he wound up stopping outside the gates of this place called Shechem. And it says he, he was only about a day's journey from Bethel, where he was, should have been, where God says, this is where I will bless you. This is the land I have given you. This is the place I want you to settle and be blessed. Instead of going there, he stopped at a place called Shechem, not in the city, but just outside where he could still see it and, and whatever, because that land around that Shechem where he stood, it says, the Bible says, the pasture was beautiful. To the eye, it was beautiful place to settle down. A beautiful place to, let's hang out over here. Bethel wasn't as pretty as where he was, but how many of you know sometimes what looks pretty is not necessarily good for you? Now, my wife is pretty and I know she's good for me. Hallelujah. But what I'm talking about is in the natural realm, sometimes we look at the world and we say, oh, this looks nice. They want a nice place. But God says, no, I didn't want you to stay there. This is where I said to come and be blessed. And so he loved God. Jacob loved God. But he wasn't fully obeying God. He was d deciding that, you know what, this seems, seems like a nice place to live. Let's hang out here for a couple years. He didn't hang out there overnight. He didn't hang out there for a week or a month. He was there for quite a while. And because of his decision, look what happened to Dinah. Had they gone to Bethel... This may never have happened. Dinah may never have gone into Shechem. She may never have been raped by the man. And everything else that is about to follow may never have taken place. But because he wasn't a bad, Jacob wasn't a bad man. He loved God. He wanted to do, but we must understand, we can't obey God halfway or partially. We've got to obey God in all things, every way. We've got to be sold out to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to do it right. I want to, be, I want to go into this wholehearted and fully and totally. And I want to obey all the scriptures, not just pick and choose what I think. And the other ones, well, so we've got to be obedient to the word of God. And so he, he, it was, it, you know, he never should have been there because previously he met his, his brother and he says, Esau, and he said, Esau, 
He said, I'm, you go, you go south. He said, you go south and I'll be there and I'll follow you shortly. And he says, well, let me leave some of my men with you. No, he said, you just go. He said, I got plenty. You just go and I'll catch up with you in a little while. And it, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but Esau left. And instead of following Esau, Esau went south. Where did, where did Jacob go? North. Opposite direction of where he said he was going to go. He, he, didn't, he wasn't truthful to his own brother. Go ahead, you go south. I'll be right there. I'll catch up with you. I'll be see you in a couple minutes. You know, don't worry. He took off, got out of sight, and then he said, I'm going the other way. And then he cut across and he wound up at this place called Shechem, a place he should never have been at. He shouldn't have been there because he was supposed to go follow his brother. God told him, come back to Bethel and I will bless, and then this is your land. But he goes to a place called Shechem, and not only does he go there, but he purchases land from, from Hamor, who was the owner, purchased it, bought it from him. When God says, this land here, I'm giving it to you. This is, this is where you need. Why is he buying land from an ungodly person when God said, I'm, I, I'm, I provided all this land for you for free? Why are you going buying land from an ungodly person when God said, here's your, here's your portion right here, a day's journey away? Why not go to where God provided for you? See, sometimes we, we cut ourselves short of where God wants us to go and God wants us to be. God wants you to be here, Bloomsburg Community Church, because he wants to bless you and prosper you. And sometimes we cut ourselves short by, going, by being somewhere else where we shouldn't be. Is it a bad place? No. It looks good. But that's not where God... Finding where God wants us to be is where God's blessings will be. And it doesn't go by appearances or sight or sound or smell. If I know this is where God has me, this is where I know God is going to bring out the fullness of his plan for my life. Each one of you, each one of us here. And so God wanted Jacob in Bethel so he can bless him. But Jacob put himself in a place where God couldn't bless him. God loved him. God was watching over him. But God couldn't release the blessing because he said, Here, come here, Jacob, and I will bless you. And so Jacob went there, and you see, you see what happened. And then Hamar comes to Jacob and says, Jacob, your daughter Dinah, she's in Shechem. My son raped her, and he loves her and wants to marry her, but she's still, we still got her in Shechem, and so I want to talk to you, Jacob. Hello? Your son raped my daughter. You still have her in your town, and you're coming here to tell me that your son loves her and wants to marry her, and you're coming to ask my permission? Bible says Jacob said nothing. He kept quiet. How does a father keep quiet when a man comes to him and says, we've got your daughter in our town. My son raped her, but you know what? I think he loves her. And I just want to come to talk to you about the matter, see how we can work this out. And Jacob was silent. 
foolish. Sin needs to be confronted. Unrighteousness needs to be confronted. Acts of violence like that need to be confronted and talked and dealt with. That's not a time not to say anything. It's not a time to be silent. We need to speak up when we've been violated. When someone in your family has been violated, we need to speak up for righteousness sake and not be silent. The Bible says he was silent. Why? Because he knew that his clan was smaller than at Shechem and maybe he was afraid that if he said anything that there would be a war and his family could now be wiped out. There must have been fear because why didn't Jacob respond to this guy? Why didn't Jacob answer him? This is his daughter. This is his little girl. This is his child. Why didn't Jacob respond to this guy? How dare you come to me and tell me you have my daughter in your town. Bring her here to me now. Release her and bring your son, that son of yours with him so that he can be face the consequences of his actions. But he didn't say that. And Jacob waited, waited for his sons to come in. Jacob's sons come in. They were out in the field. They come in. And Jacob, again, is not saying anything. Remains silent. It boggles my mind how we can stay silent when we see such acts of unrighteousness taking place in the world around us. The Jacob's sons come in, and now they hear this guy saying, well, guys, my son raped your daughter, your sister. She's back at Shechem. And we can work this out. Let's work out a compromise here. Listen, forget about that. My son loves her, wants to marry her. Just tell us what you want. We'll give you money. We'll give you cattle. You know, we'll give you land. Let's, uh, let's just work this out. Let's let, you know, my son marry her and we'll forget this even happened. You see, that's the, this, is, this is what actually transpired. Read, read the account. They tried to say, listen, forget about the, the rape and all that stuff. Let's, we'll give you money. Just name your price. What is it? Money, cattle, land, what do you want? And then we'll live happily ever after together. And we just can forget about that. This is what the world tries to do. Forget about sin. Like it never even happened. What do you want? Some money and to forget about the city, forget about what happened. You want some land? You want some goodies? What do you want? Just forget about the sin. God never tells us and God never forgets about sin unless we repent and call upon his name. Then that sin is washed away. But God does not want us to forget about sin. Sin has consequences. Did, did Hamor, the father, Say, I'm sorry for, for my son committing such an act? Not one time. Did Shechem, who, who raped her, did he come and say, forgive me for doing such a hideous thing, heinous thing? Nope. Did, when he was talking to the, to, the, to the brothers, did they say, forgive him? Nope. They just said, look, how much you want to forget this? Like it never happened. How much? 
cattle, money. And then Jacob's sons responded by lying to them and deceiving them, saying, listen, what we want is this. Because they had, they had already in their mind plotted murder. Shechem should be held accountable and guilty. But Jacob's son says, have all the men in your town circumcised. Because they says, you know, let's, get, let's, let's have a land and we'll give you money. This way we can intermarry one with another and we'll all be one big happy family. But behind the scenes, it says, Hamer said to his people, these guys are suckers. Let's get them to agree to this and eventually we'll take over all their land and all their cattle. How many of you know the devil is a liar and a deceiver and a thief? You see, Hamor never went to bargain with Jacob. He went to deceive Jacob because his ultimate goal was to get Jacob to give in to him and schmooze him with money or something. And eventually, Hamor, who had more men than him, would eventually take over all that he had. You give in to the temptations of the devil and the devil will eventually try to rob from you everything, take from you. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come to you might have right life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God will add everything to you. Do not bargain with sin. Do not bargain with, with temptation. Do not allow sin to be uh, look overlooked by a couple bucks. Don't let over sin be overlooked because uh, you'll, you'll get a little something inside if you just forget about that it even happened. God says, no, we've got to face sin and call sin, sin. How many of you know we've got to call sin, sin? The world doesn't want to hear about sin today. That's a bad word. That's a bad word. Don't say sin. Oh, how? Oh, guillotine for you, sin. Oh, but the Bible says we need to call sin, sin, and there's consequences to it. And so they, Jacob's sons, Hamor fell for it, and they had all their men circumcised, and, and after they were all in pain, it says Simon and Levi went, and they killed all the men of Shechem, all of them. Death. Consequences to disobedience. Because Dina was tempted to be somewhere she should never have been, look at what happened. Dina's father was put in a place where he says, and now he says to his sons, you make me stink in the sight and of all the neighboring towns and tribes. You make my heart sad. Jacob knew it was wrong what Shechem did, but Jacob knew that he shouldn't, they, the whole town didn't deserve to be slaughtered and killed. Though so Jacob's sons, who were angry and running to defend their sister, they went, they went a little overboard in killing all the men of the town. And God did not like that. Jacob did not like that. We can't be silent, but we can't go crazy either. There, there's got to be a form of justice. There's got to be a, a, a time where things are dealt with and sin is called sin and the consequences have to be measured out accordingly. We just don't go, we just don't go like fanatical or crazy and say, all right, hey, your whole, your whole tribe is going to die now. How many of you know that's not good? You don't kill the whole tribe because, of, but in those days, a lot of them, they did. 
And so you see the consequences of, of Dinah being disobedient. It didn't affect just her. It affected her father, her brothers. It affected the man who, who, who defiled her. But look at now, all the men of that town are dead. That's why God says, you see, and then after, after all those men were killed, Jacob says, what did you guys do? Now the towns around are going to hear about this and they're going to come and kill us. But the Bible says God spoke to Jacob and said, Jacob, get your family, get them out now and take them to Bethel where I told you to go in the first place. And he got his family, they packed their bags quick, and they went, they were headed towards Bethel, and the Bible says God withheld all the towns around from attacking him and taking vengeance upon him. It says God stayed their hands from overtaking him. Because that action that Dina did not only caused Jacob distress, not only caused their brothers to, to commit a heinous crime also in killing all the men, and it, 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 it caused Jacob now to get up and finally go to where he should have been in the first place. The thing is this, God wants to bless your life. He loves you. He wants to bless you, take care of you, watch over you and protect you. He just says, love me and, and listen to me. Walk in my ways. It's not hard. I'll help you. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. I'll help you live for me. I'll help you walk. And living for me should be fun. It should be joy. It should be gladness. It should be good things. But if we allow ourselves to, to, to give way into temptations, then there could be consequences. I'm not saying things like this are going to happen, but there are some consequences to what we do that have to play out in our lives. God is still there. He loves us. He's still with us. He'll still lead us and guide us. But there are consequences to sin. If a man commits a crime, do you think he's not going to go to jail just because he says, I'm a Christian and God, Jesus loves me? No. There's consequences to your actions. Right, Joe? You're a police officer. You commit a crime. You can't just say, well, I believe in Jesus. You can't put me in jail. No. You committed a crime. You, pay the, you do the crime. You pay the time. How's it go, Joe? Right? Do the crime and pay the time. Is that right? Something like that. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. And so there's consequences. And God says, I'm trying to get you to walk with me and follow my way so that you can avoid stuff like this. You can avoid distress. You can avoid disgrace. You can avoid, you know, extreme cases like death. So God doesn't want us to, 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 to walk through life being distressed and and frustrated and worried. God wants us to enjoy him, to know him, to know the wonders of his love, his care for us. You see, God wanted to bless Jacob all the way through to Bethel, get him to that place and say, here, now let me show you my blessings. But because he once stopped here, God says, what are you doing, knucklehead? What are you doing? Why are you staying there? God didn't say that, but you know, God is saying, why, why are you putting yourself there? Get out of here, come over here. Huh? And so if we listen to the voice of the Lord and guidance and be wise and ask God for wisdom and guidance, he will guide us. He will lead us. We don't have to be afraid. We just have to say, Lord, you're my shepherd. I'm your sheep. 
guide me, lead me. Lead me on, O King Eternal, lead me on. And God said, he'll lead us in paths of righteousness. He said, he'll lead us beside still waters. He'll lead us beside green pastures for his name's sake. He'll prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Amen. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, be not afraid, for I am with you. You see, we have a glorious father, a glorious God who loves us, watching over our lives for good. He doesn't want us to get caught up in, in all of that other stuff. And so what we're saying is love God, obey God the best you can. Just look to him. God will help you. God will lead you. God will guide you. God will take care of you. It's a good, it's a good message, but we've got to understand we, there, there are consequences if we do things we know we shouldn't do. God will forgive us. God will help us. But why even be distressed about the consequences when we don't have to be? Lord, help me live my life today. Guide me today. You know, if we make little mistakes, that's okay. God will take care of us. God will provide for us. He loves you. He cares about you. How many of you know he loves you? He cares about you. He's a forgiving father. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He loves us more than anything else. And he just wants to see us in good places so that he can take good care of us to show himself a good father so that we can show forth the praises of our father God who loves us and cares about us. And we need to care about one another. We need to care about one another. And we need to, we need to have fellowship with one another so we have fun things to do, so that God is exciting, God is fun, God is happy. God, yeah, we learn about God and grow together, but we can do so in a way that makes us, I want to be there, I want to learn more about God. I want to, I want to be in fellowship with these people. Amen? And if you fellowship with me and my wife, you can come over for a hot dog. Praise the Lord. Or we'll come over to your place for a hot dog doesn't take much to please me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? That's why we have a movie night on Wednesday night. It's a good time to get together in the Lord. It's something, it's something fun, something exciting, something different. And so, praise the Lord. Amen? Love God. Obey him because he loves you. He wants to take good care of you. Don't, don't be tempted. Don't listen to the lies of the world. Believe God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Stand with me this morning.